There's a 2009 shot of Patrick Ravel taken by the sartorialist. Patrick is wearing one of his iconic club collar Oxfords buttoned all the way to the top. Levi's 501 jeans and Doc Martin derbies. My friends were fascinated with Patrick because both his personal style and his designs embodied refined nonchalance. In an era of tight clothing, he wore baggy jeans. When runway models were wearing head-to-toe Italian tailoring, Patrick sent his models down the aisle in Tevas. Many designers make clothing because they have to. They're caught up in trying to create the next big trend or surrendering themselves to an existing one. But Patrick's different. I've long admired his ability to tell a story and to create some of the most beautiful silhouettes I've ever seen. My name is Jeremy Kirkland and this is Blamo, a podcast exploring the world of fashion with the personalities that shape it. My guest this week is Patrick Ervell. Patrick and I spoke about his time spent growing up in San Francisco and how he went from graduating with a poli-sci degree from Berkeley to a CFDA award-winning menswear designer. Last but not least, we discuss why he's designing for the LA brand Vince and how he's bringing a high-class California aesthetic to the masses. Let's do it. Patrick Ravel. Yep. You're on the podcast. How you doing? Good. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so you're a bit of a legend in, in the scene. I'm just going gonna, gonna to start this off. Um, I think you were a part of like some of the first designers who were putting New York menswear on the map in, I'd say, like the late uh, 2000s, early aughts. Mm-hmm. Um, I still have... Like one, two, three. I was counting them this morning to see. I think I still have like four of the club collar Oxfords that you mm-hmm. had. Yeah. They're like some of the greatest Oxfords of all time. Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Yeah. Like, but you're originally from Sweden, right? Um, my parents are Swedish. Grew up in California. Okay. So, but then we moved to Sweden when I was very young, then to London and then back to California. Whoa. Why'd you move so much? Uh, dad's work. Okay. Yeah. What sort of work did he do? He was in the container industry. So uh, it's boring. Shipping. Big boxes. Big metal boxes that go on ships. Yo, you want to hear something crazy? What? One of my friends, her dad invented the pallet. Oh, wow. <laughs> and that's like her claim to fame. Wow. Um, yeah, like the pallet that everyone uses for everything. Yeah. It's bizarre, man. Shipping container, that's a, that's a wild world. Um, so you, you kind of lived all over the place. And yeah. You, you settled... You'd say most of the time that you were in California? I grew up in California. That's, I mean, that's like, that's my, in my mind, like my point of origin. So um, more specifically, Northern California, suburbs of San Francisco. And you went to Berkeley, right? Yep. How was that? It's great. Um, I, I mean, in hindsight, it was like, it sounds silly and, and it sounds like a cliche, but it was like the best years of my life, kind of. Not really, but like, those were fun years. Yeah? Yeah. Is Berkeley, I mean, so I've been to Berkeley uh-huh. and I've like the university and I've been around there, there's a stereotype of like Berkeley is like so hippie, so open mind, free thinking. Yeah. There's, there's like, there's still an element of that, especially in the town of Berkeley. Yeah. But the school, it's not like that anymore. That's good. It's it's not like that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with, you know, it's nice to have that a mix. It's nice to have that mixed in, I think. Yeah. And you were studying, like, you didn't study fashion. I studied poli-sci and uh, econ. It was called um, Political Economy of Industrial Societies. So it was, like, interdisciplinary. But then I had an art history minor. Okay. Yeah. 
So where where does fashion come into this? I don't know. I mean, people always ask that, and yeah. for some weird reason, uh, so many of the people I met, so many of my peers at the time, all ended up working in fashion. Really? And there there is no fashion program at, at Berkeley. No, no, no. Um, like Umberto and Carol, who started Opening Ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, Kate and Laura, who started Rodarte Women's Brand. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I mean, it's kind of strange that all these people bubbled up from this these few years at UC Berkeley. Right. Not, a you know, the opposite of a fashion school. So when does fashion start, like, do you come to New York and then you're like, hey, I'm going to... No, gonna I don't something? know. It always, always kind of was sitting there, like, kind of percolating. I mean, I, when I, I always thought of, you know, especially in hindsight, I think San Francisco and the Bay Area at that time felt, to me, like, you know, the center of the world in a way. The, and mm-hmm. it still kind of does. I agree. Um, I mean, it's a place where the future is being created still to this day. Yeah. Um, so I never really thought of San Francisco Bay Area as a, as a peripheral place or like, of course, we all had this craving to come to New York and, and that felt like the center. But the reality is that what's happening there, what continues to happen there is, is the center. Right. If that makes sense. No, I, I hear you. I think there's, there is a little bit of a hotbed of innovation and like yep. let's see if this works and uh, yep. the the size of san francisco also is is big but small enough that yep. you can you know really test things out mm-hmm. um but also you know like san francisco you got a pretty pretty diverse demographic i mean i've been around uh i used to work for apple for uh-huh. a bit and i remember going to sf and cruising around the tenderloin and mm-hmm. like losing my mind yeah at, um, you've never seen anything like it before or since <laughs> still to this day yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty wild mm-hmm. so when when do you come to new york i came uh a week after graduating from berkeley okay um just just moved here right but, you know like a lot of people every year you know you finish school and there would be like a group of people who just moved directly to new york yeah um you know, because you wanted that, you craved, you were craving New York, and I, I guess I was one of those people. And as you were like, did you start looking for jobs in the field, or like, wh- yeah. where does uh, it, this was this so. was May of uh, two thousand one, June okay. June of two thousand one. So the timing was bad. Yeah. So I had a f- really fun summer, and then was ready to kind of like go enter the job market, and then of course the you know, suddenly there was no job market. In yeah. Um, I had, <clears throat> I had started an internship at V magazine already. Visionaire V magazine. Yep. Um, in the early days when it first started. Um, and then, uh, I just started working there because there, I mean, there was again, September of 2001, there wasn't like a, you know, difficult to find a job in New York at that time. So yeah. Yeah. I just started working there, and I ended up working there for three, three, four years. Okay. Became the I was the associate editor of V. Became the fashion editor of V Man when they started it. Oh, I had no idea you were in publishing at all before <clears throat> this. Yeah. Wow. Uh, yeah, and that was my uh, my sort of my first job in New York. So what's what's life like there? In the fact that like you're in this, <clears throat> I mean, V is is a very prestigious magazine. It's it's not like GQ. It's not, I mean, GQ is great, yeah. but like V feels a little bit more narrow. It's pretty. It's pretty specific. It's it's very fashion yeah. at, at the highest level. But it's uh, I think when it started, and I don't want to. I mean, sure. I, I stopped reading magazines, you know, ten years ago, like most people. <laughs> this but, is true. Yeah, but um, I think when at that moment it 
I, it felt like a really vital and kind of important place to be. Like everybody passed through that office at that moment. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so it was an exciting time to work there for sure. And then what year do you found? So it, there the, was an overlap. There okay. was an awkward overlap, which is kind of, you know, my time at, uh, my, I kind of like, it ended kind of like in a, you know, a, a tricky way. Like I was, you know, I was kind of focusing on starting this, this company secretly on the side, like, and, uh, and then eventually just kind of that took over and that, you know, I had to focus on that. Yeah. Um, it was around the time uh, Umberto and Carol opened opening ceremony. Yeah, because they were some of your first champions. Yeah, right? well, yeah. they're they're old friends, probably yeah. my oldest friends in New York. Um, <clears throat> but they, you know, when they opened, it was a mom and pop shop, uh, and I just printed some T-shirts, you know, for their for their new store they opened. Right. Yeah, that's fantastic, and I, I think you know you were. You were the first show that I think I might have gotten invited to. Um, and the shows that you were doing, because you were probably one of the, like it was you, Michael Bastian, and maybe a couple other people were the, the representations of, of New York style and New York fashion. But I think you were one of the earlier brands that had the ability to have multiple um, types of people buying and wearing the clothing versus mm-hmm. selling to one extremely specific demographic. Like, oh, we're for rich guys who do this. Like, mm-hmm. like Patrickville had a, like, this is in my opinion, like mm-hmm. had a little bit of like punk in it with mm-hmm. some of the, like just the Oxfords and the shirting. But then you also had people that were wearing it really formally. You had like a suiting thing and you were so far ahead of your time um, I remember going to one of your collections and seeing uh, the Tiva collab. And like everywhere you, you look now, every dude is like trying to rock <coughs> sandals. Tiva. Yeah, well, they're, yeah, they're doing like yeah. Chacos or Tivas uh-huh. or sandals and socks. Like when you look back on that, like did you know that you were that far ahead? Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I feel like, it, I mean, for me, fashion has always been really, really intuitive. So it's... yeah. I mean, I, di- I didn't think of it in in that way. I think if you know, fashion is this funny thing where you, what you're the if you're the you know the f- the earlier you start to feel like kind of like disgusted by something, the better <laughs> like the better you are at it. Okay, and I'm, I, it's a funny way to describe it, but like I'm I'm pretty quick to be start feeling like grossed out by the way something looks or like an aesthetic or what was something you were grossed out? Well, by? I think when I when I was starting. Around that time, it was, you know, the sort of the dominant look in menswear was a kind of like old timey, like sort of uh, fake, authentic Americana kind of look. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a lot of fashion is like a reaction against something else. So, I, you know, maybe I just, you know, that was that was kind of my my <clears throat> take at the time which was you know very different than the dominant take at the time yeah that makes sense well i think it, it's how you worded that too i think designers that i've talked to in the past and creative directors they don't often speak about fashion the way you did and the fact that you relate it as an emotion you um i think you just said it was a reaction yeah for sure and yeah. a lot of people and this is you know each people do stuff differently i'm not picking on anyone they are designing based on some sort of inspiration or of, or mm-hmm. a way to like, hey, you know what? Um, 
we took a trip to India or yeah, whatever. Yeah, 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 yeah. I went here yeah. and I saw some stuff, and now I'm gonna show you what I thought in some clothes. Right. Or isn't isn't David Bowie cool or something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and that's that was never revealed to me because one of the things that I loved but also got frustrated with with your brand was I often with me, like I'm, I'm someone who's a serial researcher. I want to know why. I want to mm-hmm. know what you're thinking. And, you know, I mean, before we were ta- we started recording when I was getting your levels, I always ask people what they had for breakfast. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to know that. And when I was seeing the stuff that you were doing, you had like paint speckled fabrics with suits, these like black mm-hmm. suits, these the cool club collar shirt that no one was doing at the time. And even when Tom Brown tried to do it, no one would buy it. Mm-hmm. But like you were able to take these these different uh, pieces of clothing and turn them into this collection that was... I was more into it because I didn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, very beautiful and a strong part of my life. And, like, you know, again, still to this day, like, I still have your shirts in my closet. Yeah. I mean, I was... In, I mean, another sort of... re. I think this experience of working at a magazine... Uh, kind of led me into f- into designing clothes in a way because it started to become frustrating for me at least mm. you know the way the way people speak in fashion when it becomes a collection of references you know and that's when you're at a magazine it is it's a lot of that like it's we're, we want to do a shoot it's a bit like this but it's like you, you know whatever and we <laughs> And uh, I mean, there's always like some Bowie reference thrown in, and then uh, are you a Bowie fan? Side no, part? I am, I am. Okay. But it's also frustrating that it becomes a like a, an easy like reference. You yeah, know? don't make him um, your scapegoat. But uh, <laughs> I think, I guess, when I started, it was to to try to make a, a reference free look, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, which is tricky. That's tricky. It's That's very the tricky. hardest thing to do. Yeah. Um. And it's hard in our time, like it's that's, I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, that's a very difficult thing to do because it is just a, a sea of references that people pull from, you right? Know? Um, yeah. Well, what, what were the things that you were, if you were trying to make a collection that was reference free, like was there a certain rule that you wanted to follow when you were making each like piece? I wanted to start with material first, mm-hmm. I wanted to start with, uh, with a new motif that hadn't been seen, I wanted to create something new. Uh, I mean, it's that it's 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 trying. I mean, which is what fashion should be, to try to make something that each time feels shockingly new, but still grounded in something wearable. Yeah, like, and and you yourself have always had a pretty strong uniform. I mean, it's obviously the same thing that you're wearing now. But I remember all these all these magazines were trying to do these profiles on you, and they were like, you know, what does Patrick Cavell do? Like, what does he wear? And you're just like, yeah, I wear Levi's 501 jeans, Doc Martens, and an Oxford shirt. Right. <laughs> like, that was it. <laughs> that's, that's a good look. It's a fantastic yeah. look. And now, you know, people can't keep old, like, vintage 501s in stock. And, yeah. and you know, and again, with Docs, like, people are, are looking for those those classic Oxfords. And I don't know if, you know, when I was talking about how you were ahead of your time, I don't know if people are trying to react to the fact that right now streetwear is so fast and so hype driven that people are looking to to scale back a bit to things that feel uh maybe safer mm-hmm. um but i i don't you know i'm speculating but it feels like that to me 
as as I like look through my closet and I'm like, why did I buy that from Vetmont's? Like, mm-hmm. I really regret buying every piece from <laughs> Vetmont's publicly. Like, I'll say it and I've tweeted it. Like, you're on record. I'm on record. Like, I I love and I appreciate the the attitude. Uh, maybe something similar to what you were doing of of fashion is turning into this. Let's not do that. Let's right. let's let's give it an electric shock. Right. But as the consumer you know, again, like I want to understand and get it. And so for me, that was like purchasing it and I, I don't have it anymore. Right. And so I, I just, I, do you feel that, that what people are making and wearing now is a little bit more of a response? Uh, I mean, I, you know, I think fashion, especially menswear works in kind of bigger cycles, you know, five to 10 year cycles. Yeah. And we're in this moment, the one you described just now. Um, I feel like it, you know it's kind of a noisy time in menswear. Yeah. Um, and in a f- whenever that, and again, when I talked about reactions before reacting against what's happening now. I kind of think that whenever there is that much noise in one place, there's always this space that opens up on the exact opposite side. And in a f- you know, not to segue into where Vince, but um, oh, we're gonna we're gonna talk a lot about. But I Vince. do think that Vince and me is kind of sits exactly in that opposite space. Yeah. Well, and that's, I mean, to jump on Vince, obviously you kind of summit yourself in New York. And when, are, is, is Irvell the brand, is it still going? No, or, no. So you, no. Sh- books closed. Books closed, yeah. Um, and when did you join Vince? Seven months ago. Okay. Yeah. And how has that been? Because you relocated. Relocated to Los Angeles. Um, it's been great. Yeah, it's been great. A completely different life. Um, I mean, there, you know, this is like a, everybody says this, but like, you know, there's something about living in New York in your like 20s and early 30s and then <laughs> and then you move to L.A. Yeah. You know, and it's like that's the right order. That's the way you're supposed to do it. Um, and it's it's been great. Why, why is that move to L.A.? Because I, I feel that, too. My wife mm-hmm. and I, we have uh, a daughter that was just born not that long ago. And we're dying here. I'm not kidding. Like we're like <laughs> we're like. Do we do we need to leave? Like I don't make half a million dollars. This is a tough yeah. place to to live. Yeah. Um. I mean, it's that Joan Didion essay that that amazing one where she says New York is only for the very young and the very rich. Yeah. And it's so true. I. I and that essay is about being young in New York and then moving to L.A. and forgetting why you ever lived in New York. <laughs> Do you? I mean, but I'm sure there's still there's still some fond things you have. You know, you got you got Green Street, you got Crosby. That's your, your I mean, stomping no. Grounds. I mean, when I come back to New York now, I love it. Yeah, I mean, New York is amazing. Well, but, it's because you don't have to deal with the rent. Yeah, and everything I'm like staying in a hotel. It's fantastic. There's like a fun dinner every night. Some you know, it's amazing. New York yeah. is amazing. But you know, I think uh, yeah, it's that. It's a city for the very young and the very rich. Where are you based in LA now? I live in Hancock Park. Oh, nice. Yeah. The studio's in um, Hollywood, so okay. it's very nearby. Yeah. Because, I mean, people going to L.A., especially in the fashion world, that's somewhat newer. I mean, you had Eddie Slane do that for St. Laurent. You had Tom Ford relocate over there. Um, you know, Scott Sternberg, when he was doing Band of Outsiders, mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. was over there in L.A. Yeah. There's definitely a bit of a, a fashion design scene that's that's happening over there. Yeah. For sure. 
It was late night at the airport, and I was walking off my flight when I heard crying in the distance. As I got closer, I heard a loud thud, immediately followed by the sound of a smartphone powering off. Oh no, I said. This isn't good. I saw a young man in a state of agony and defeat on the floor, his broken suitcase and dead smartphone nearby. I walked up to him, and with tears in his eyes, he looked up at me and said, There has to be a better way, right? He calmed down after I prodded him a little and found out that his name was Eustace. He had a broken carry-on, a dead smartphone, and a lonely heart. I told Eustace about away travel and their unbelievable carry-on luggage made with a premium, impeccably strong German polycarbonate. I showed him my own away carry-on with its built-in USB charger and wheels so smooth I could glide through the terminal with ease. He wiped the tears from his eyes. Sir, this is amazing, he said. What do I do? I said, go to awaytravel.com forward slash blammo and enter the coupon code blammo to save $20 off your purchase. Eustace stood up, and before he knew it, the entire airport was cheering him on. Other grown men were crying tears of joy. Children were laughing. Every flight was suddenly on time. We embraced. He said, I can't wait to go to awaytravel.com forward slash blammo and enter the coupon code blammo to save $20 off my purchase. Afterward, I walked to the restroom to wash my hands. I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror and realized the man was me all along. Um, so you're at Vince. What was, what was your goal here to do with Vince? I mean, I, kind of, I mentioned it before. Sure. That there is a kind of, there's a space that opens up now, I think, for... Something that feels a little bit more quiet. I mean, that's an easy way to say it, but a little bit more simple, too. Mm -hmm. Um, Something that's rooted in an authenticity surrounding a brand and its aesthetic rather than a kind of hype beast uh, kind of trend machine. You know what I mean? Um, So that's really... That's always how I've approached things. And, you know, I think... Not just this moment, but I think for the next, you know, this next part of, of, you know, the next 10 years, for let's say, I think it'll feel increasingly relevant, that, that approach. Yeah. Because um, I think there is a kind of exha- exhaustion in menswear uh, that's about to happen. Yeah, I agree. I, I, <clears throat> I see it with buyers, too, yeah. that are... They're like, oh, this is cool. Maybe we'll get a couple of these and put them in the window. And that way people will come in and they'll want to buy. You know, people are still looking for a good T-shirt, a good pair of jeans, mm. you know. And I, in a weird way, I still think that's a challenge to find. Yeah. Um, I mean, we're also, it's also this kind of, I mean, I talked a bit before about how I always thought of San Francisco, California as the center of the world. Mm-hmm. And... <clears throat> that's another part of that conversation. I think there is a, a kind of an aesthetic and a look that hasn't really been developed fully. Um, you know, we, when you throw out like things, California, like you, there's a whole, there's references that oh, come yeah. to mind. Yeah. Um, but I think that there is a kind of more like pure and essential and more beautiful and elevated version of California that hasn't been fully fleshed out a look um and that's the other thing that i'm after here 
what would an example of that look be? I mean, I think, I mean, there's a whole, there's like these easy references of California that people throw out, but you mentioned Tevas earlier. <laughs> That's a California reference too. For sure. Burks, Tevas. Um, yeah. The North Face is a California reference. Patagonia California, yeah. is a, Calif- Patagonia is a California reference. Those, you know, there's, there's a world surrounding the, those kind, that look yeah. that I think is, to me, essential California. And to do that, from a kind of more luxury place, I think is an interesting newness. Yeah, I I agree. I, I think, you know, I, I've collected North Face fleeces for mm-hmm. a while, and there's actually a pretty interesting hotbed Instagram community. Oh, my God. Of, I, I don't, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge North Face Patagonia yeah. fan. And there's, also collector. there's a couple of these guys. They, they're based in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joey Ones, mm. who's who's dope, and he sells like all lots of vintage North Face stuff, and there it's like he sells it for like fair prices, like a mm-hmm. hundred bucks for mm-hmm. a, one of these fleeces, and it's funny because a lot of people I know, you know, like all the menswear dudes right now are rocking Patagonia baggies. They're you know they're trying to do this sort of dad style, and and as I've looked at this more and also being a dad i was like i don't think this is dad style as much as holy cow there's so much stuff out there yeah. i need to scale back yeah like or you need to like lean into something that feels more authentic yeah more authentically you yeah uh no i mean i agree with that it's it's just it's pretty it's pretty wild um with that saying like you know your your first collection <clears throat> first collection is actually fall fall yeah so it's you know this it's sort of a different model at a company like this because it isn't it's more about when the product comes all the way downstream you know right when it's uh about to you know exist in the world yeah. which is upcoming so the fall drops in august okay yeah starts to drop and what what are some of the things that you know we were again we were talking about like authentic and scaling back? Or the, were there key pieces that you wanted to ensure when you came on board, Vince, that you created? Yeah, I mean, you know, each each season we 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 develop from from scratch a new collection. But I think there is a kind of a thread that runs through all of it um, since I've gotten here. Um, really wanted to lean into this kind of essential. I call it like a high classic California aesthetic. Mm. which is difficult to explain without like these kind of cheap references thrown in. <laughs> sure, I understand. But that's it. I mean just in broad broad strokes, that's that is um what I'm after here. Yeah. You know, there's also um you know, there's a little bit of nostalgia thrown in there. I feel like <clears throat> you know, there is a kind of because California has never felt more like the future than it does today. I think it's interesting to also explore a kind of California nostalgia in a very specific way. Um, so there's a, there's a bit of that thrown into. Working at, at Vince, this is a pretty large company and operation. Um, w- that's got to be almost pretty big difference than what you're huge doing difference. when you're running your... Huge difference. What but, are some of the advantages? I, I mean, I... Everything. So I mean, it's incredible. I I'm um, I'm you know this is fun for me here. I've I've never had like a fabric R and D team. Like just that that alone to me is like, you know I yeah. I did all of that. 
for for years myself. So just things like that. There's a team. There's a solid team here that can execute, you know, anything that's needed. So it's um you know, that's that's uh for me that feels like a luxury. Yeah. For but sure. of course it's like a normal part of working at a company like this. <laughs> but it's it's fun for me. Yeah. I mean, you got you used to do when you were doing Patrick Ravel, your brand. Um, I think you, for me, you were the first like fashion brand that was doing a, a heavy mixture of of, for lack of a better term, like tech wear mm-hmm. with, you know, like you would put people down wearing jeans, but then some sort of like nylon waterproof yeah. looking parka. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to continue to have like tech, tech wear type yeah. stuff in here? Yeah. There's moments of that for sure. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not, you know, that's like, if you think of, well, first, you know, Vince is, it's, you know, it had a kind of, you know, semi, a really, it has a really nice base to build on, mm-hmm. you know, it has this kind of unique place in the market or in America or in fashion where it's uh it's a luxury brand coming from Los Angeles. Yeah. Which there isn't another one. Um so it it has this really beautiful bones, I guess you could say, good building blocks. So to layer on top these moments that you know what we've been talking about I think is really really exciting. Right on. Yeah, I I think that's if you look at, you know, we were talking about California earlier and we were talking about how like San Francisco has all these things. I mean, you look at a brand that I I'm not a huge fan of, but I respect what they're doing, like mm-hmm. Allbirds, right? Mm-hmm. And all of these brands are like trying to be these I hate this term, like these disruptors right. who are coming into the industry. Everlane. Everlane. Yeah. Everlane makes some interesting stuff, mm-hmm. but what is interesting about how Everlane runs their business too is because it's solely based direct to consumer and there's a lot of AI mm-hmm. I hate that term too that's in their uh in their whole business when they launch a shirt they um can see what people are ordering more of mm-hmm. and they are actually adjusting the PO like the orders for those shirts Amazing. in real time like it's being as it's being sewn yeah amazing and I think that brands like that are, are starting to look in that way, but also from not just a, a way to be profitable, but also a way to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. I talked with Maurizio Donati of LVC and Atelier and Repairs, and he was at Diesel. And for him, the most important thing in his business is to be a sustainable business. What are your thoughts on on like sustainability right, right. now? Right. I mean that 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 comes up a lot and um I mean I think the <clears throat> I think making clothes that are not so tied to a kind of hypey fashion cycle. Yeah. That is in and of itself sustainability. Right. I mean that you don't have to recycle. Yeah, <laughs> that you're yeah. wearing clothes that you don't feel embarrassed to wear 6 months later. Yeah. That's that's that is sustainability. Yeah. Um, I mean that that just that would do more than any other kind of like material or 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 or, you know manufacturing change. You know, yeah, for sure. Of course, that's a terrible thing to say at a company that makes makes uh you know clothes, but not really though, because we you know we're not trying to compete in that like six months and here's a new look place. So it's not no, I don't. 
I don't think that's Vince's. No, I mean, from it's my not. perspective, at all. It's and not. Also, I don't think. I don't think you want five people to buy a hundred percent of the collection. Yeah. You want a lot of people to buy different parts of the collection and work that in and figure out more about themselves. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming because I, I from you know because here's the thing: if you are a business and you lose one of those five people. You just lost a lot of business, which is basically a lot of the issues that they have within like Italian bespoke tailoring. Mm-hmm. They're catering to the top of the top, and when one of those guys gets bored, they're screwed. Yeah, and and so to to jump to e-commerce, you know, a lot of people, everything is being bought and sold on e-commerce. You mm-hmm. had tacky Amazon Prime Day, which I'm not really for, but. All these people, including myself, I go and I will go to a retail store. I see what I like. And then I often, even if it's from the same retail store, I'll just buy it online. Yeah. Is that, I mean, is that Which, how you're shopping? Uh, I'm not shopping. I mean, I haven't shopped, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I haven't shopped for a long time. Really? A decade or more. Yeah. What about? But I, because I made my own clothes and now, you know, oh. and now I work at a company where I have where I also make my own clothes in a way. Yeah. Um, so no, I don't shop, but I can, I mean, I, I, th- of course it makes sense. Like, of course, you know, it's like almost like the store becomes a showroom and then you actually buy it online. That yeah. It's much easier. Yeah. I mean, there's, I think Bonobos does that and yeah. I'm not, I'm sure that's not really your overlap, but right. They, they have turned their stores into showrooms right. in which you makes go sense. in. Makes perfect sense. Yeah. But say, you know, you're saying you're not shopping. Right. Your laundry detergent at your house. Where'd you get it? Grocery store? Yeah? Yeah. What about um, trash bags, any of that stuff? Do you, you like, you're, you go out to buy? Am I, I mean, yeah, I'm still buying, like, those basic things at my grocery store. But, yeah, you're right. I, I don't have to. You're yeah. right. Maybe, yeah. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for changing my, my point of view. <laughs> no. Maybe I don't have to do that. Well, I you're mean... Right. I mean, you, that's it's. I think it's it's a, a challenge that a lot of businesses are having as people just don't want to go out, right? Um, and so you you know you're trying to find a way to tell your story, right? But tell it in a unique way mm-hmm. that's bigger than what I don't know four and a half inches, yeah. on a device. But really, that's the way you have to tell it. You have to tell it in that format, that four and a half inches. <sighs> So yeah, it's a whole. It's a you know, I it's exciting too. You know, it's a you know, we've since I've come since I've come here have started some new projects. Um, you know, with some young filmmakers, people who are working exclusively in that format, film, be, filming things on their iPhone. Oh, really? Um, nothing that I, I want to announce yet, but sure. really ex- things that feel like people who are tapping into it as as a new medium like they didn't start from like fashion photography and now they're doing a video like that is their they grew up just making instagram videos of their friends and there is a completely different mindset with people like that yeah um and there suddenly the like i think that we're starting to at least i feel like i've found people who are starting to understand how to use that screen the right way interesting that that's um yeah something we have coming up Wow. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I, I oftentimes like go back and forth between 
the different forms, you know, like seeing someone's show, like I could watch the whole Prada show on a phone. Mm -hmm. And on one hand, I totally celebrate that. I think that's amazing. Like I got to see that live the same Mm -hmm. time everyone else. But on the other hand, I, I wonder like, how do these brands feel about it? Like, is it okay to open that door to everyone? I mean, I think that fashion industry had like a few years of like hand wringing about that. And there were some like, still there's probably some people who are like, you know, upset about that, that kind of democratization of fashion. But it's, you know, it's like once it's done, it's done and there's no going back. So why, let's not worry about it. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Um, Some of the last things I want to talk about is, so being a designer who didn't really have very like formal, like design training experience, how do you think that's, that's changed like how you make stuff? I mean, cause you were even saying when you're looking at people who are coming on board for, mm-hmm you know, these uh, supposed video projects that you're mm-hmm. doing that they don't really have that sort of film experience. Right, not at all, yeah. How important is that to you? I mean, I mean, you need to understand craft and you need to understand material and construct. That, that is important. We are making physical objects here that have to function and feel feel good and, and, look, be- and look beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, but so much of that, I think, in fashion comes from experience, learning by doing. Um, I mean, I, I spent, I talked about, you know, the first thing I did was some printed t-shirts cause that's yeah. all I knew how to do at the time. It wasn't, you know, it t- took five years before I actually had like a fully fleshed out collection that I started showing to people. So, you know, it does, it, it takes time. Um, but, and it is important. You need, you do need to take the time to understand how all of that works. Because there's a fair amount of listeners who are trying to build their own right. collection, yeah. and they see people like Jerry Lorenzo or people like you, and I think oftentimes the people's stories get maybe a little bit overlooked mm-hmm. by like, oh, I could do it. Like Patrick Vell right. made a collection; he didn't have fashion experience. Well, right. it's like, well, there's talent that comes on, and then also like an in- exceedingly strong work ethic i mean that's absolutely that's part of it it is it is um it's not easy yeah it's not easy um and there's also just sometimes like kind of time timing and just specific circumstances that can't really be you know replicated or applied to other people in other places it's i mean it's it's just that simple so um yeah wow yeah um well, this has been really good. You feel good? Yeah, I think so. Is there anything else you'd like to add or mention? No, what else is there? Um, I mean, I just maybe just like that, you know, having my own uh, company for so many years, I think, you know, in, in many ways left me really sort of perfectly trained to become, you know, a gun for hire in a way. But really? specifically now at Vince, I mean, I think, you know, you you've done i've done everything possible like within that within my own company you know seen every side of it from you know uh, you know carrying rolls of fabric to a factory to like you know you name it um designing the collection to like dealing with like uh you know hiring my team all of it so you know in a funny way that is the best kind of school you know, for this kind of a a role at a company this big. Oh, interesting. I mean, do you feel that that gives you 
more empathy and I think so. Uh, I think I mean yeah. I think I I I understand f- from the bottom to the top. Yeah, I, in a way. Yeah. That's great because yeah. I think that you know a lot a lot of from experience at other you know big houses per se sometimes the people that are doing these other parts like you know they could be one of the most vital parts of the business but at the end they may not feel the love or the or the great the uh the gratefulness from mm. everyone and i think that's good if you have that understanding yeah you know it's not like about like go oh, give everyone a hug but no but <laughs> ensuring ensuring I don't people really, are valued. i'm not a big hugger yeah no i'm not <laughs> <laughs> that's 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 cool um well patrick this was really good yeah thank you i can't thank you enough i'll talk to you soon thanks you've been listening to blamo our theme music is by tan lines if you like this episode there's tons more to listen to at blamopod.com listen to blamo on apple Podcasts, spotify or wherever you get your podcasts while you're at it tell a friend and leave a review it helps let others discover the show Follow us on Instagram at Blamo Podcast or send us an email at info at blamopod.com. Still want to connect? Join our Slack group and chat with other friends of the pod. Thanks again for listening. See you all next week.